Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he, God, will make your path straight. We discuss that today and more on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. Here at the Kingdom Patriot Group, we have a vision to restore America to her foundational principles. To help you do your part to restore the country, is there a particular topic we could cover that you would find helpful? If so, email us at admin at kingdompatriot.us. That's admin at kingdompatriot.us. We'd love to hear from you today. Welcome to this week's News and Review. Well, in political news, the red wave, the red tsunami that we all thought would happen, looks more like a pebble dropped in the Pacific Ocean. It will forever be known as the wave that wasn't. This is probably similar to what Democrats felt in 2016 when they found out that Hillary was the failed heir apparent to the U.S. throne. I am still a bit shell-shocked, but I'll leave that discussion mostly for today's podcast. In border news, the commissioner of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Christopher Magnus, has resigned after much pressure. I mean, in one way this is good, but in fact, really, the entire senior leaders have anything to do with Border Patrol, or mostly political hacks anyway, they should all be fired. But the person who needs to be fired the most is the one who actually sets the policy, and that's President Biden. But unfortunately, we have to wait two more years to do that. Also, a brand new survey just came out that shows Ron DeSantis has actually overtaken Trump as the 2024 frontrunner. Well, given the vast underperformance of Trump-endorsed candidates, that does make sense, at least as a knee-jerk reaction, but time will tell if this still holds. Now, I love DeSantis, and honestly, I'm already thinking of a Ron DeSantis-Candace Owens ticket, but I will go ahead and temper my enthusiasm for now. But one thing needs to happen for sure. The conservative base needs to unite against evil and lawlessness, and so far, it has been unable or unwilling to do that. In fact, Trump is already attacking DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin because he sees them as challengers. This kind of stuff has to stop. Okay, in culture news, this next story, I guess it's both political and cultural, AOC, yes, the polarizing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has been given a new name by a New York Times columnist named David Brooks. What's the new name? Especially related to her Green New Deal? Oh, I love this. She is Cotton Candy Media Concoction. That's what he calls her. I just have to laugh because AOC is from a tiny little district. She has no power other than what the media has created and granted to her. She truly is a complete concoction. Ultimately, David Brooks is slamming AOC as part of this anti-establishment populist movement that is waning. And that, I'm not sure that he's wrong. Okay, in other snowflake Karen-like news, and no, I'm not talking about the four inches of snow on my deck. I'm talking about a North Carolina restaurant where a female customer got irate with the smoked pork barbecue that was served to her. Yeah, you heard that right. The owner tried to explain to her that when you smoke barbecue, it turns pink no matter how long you cook it. 
The owner then offered chicken to the customer, and the customer kept complaining. Oh, okay, I get that to some degree. People complain, you can't always make them happy. But yet, it doesn't end there. The story continues. After the customer left, she actually called 911, and the cop showed up at the restaurant due to the incident. I mean, come on, really? Can we at least get offended by something other than dead smoked pork? And by the way, I heard recently, and if true, this has huge implications, you may be aware of various church divisions and denominations, specifically in the Methodist and Presbyterian churches. Each split is over such things as women serving as pastors, the acceptance of the LGBTQ plus lifestyle in the church, and whether or not this is actually sin or it should be embraced. However, here's the interesting twist that I heard from Albert Moeller. It appears that the liberal wing of these splits is likely going to make these social and gender issues part of their statement of faith. Therefore, in the future, we are likely to actually see litigation in which someone claims the lack of support or affirmation of their LGBTQ plus lifestyle is actually a violation of their religious liberty. To be honest, I'm not smart enough to have seen this coming, but I am smart enough to know this is going to be extremely dangerous to our culture. The one thing the Supreme Court has been is it has been an upholder of more traditional views of religious liberty. If the left is successful in making the gender issue a religious liberty issue, I shudder to think of the biblical lawlessness that will result from this. Okay, in legal news, Republican lawmakers led by Marco Rubio and Mike Gallagher have introduced a bill to ban TikTok in the United States. Now, as a free speech junkie myself, at first glance, I'm like, okay, this is a little bit concerning. Until you realize that TikTok is actually a tool that was developed and managed or is developed and managed by the Chinese Communist Party. This app tracks where you are physically. It gathers information about visitor websites. There is already commentary that the CCP is actually using an algorithm that targets Americans specifically on TikTok with the indoctrinations of communism, socialism, selfishness, self-absorption, and things just like that. TikTok has already restricted free speech related to human rights abuses and even information about Tiananmen Square protests and the killings that were in 1989. Furthermore, 10% of Americans are apparently using TikTok now as their primary news source. Good grief, no wonder the elections are turning out like they are. Now, in medical news, flu and RSV, which is a serious respiratory illness, are showing signs this fall of coming back with a vengeance. With the previous couple of years of lockdowns and masking, these diseases did not have their normal runs. Now they are back, and they look angry. Just more unintended consequences of trying to deal with COVID-19 in the way that we did. Thanks, Fauci. And lastly, in economic news, the Daily Wire is reporting that housing affordability has plummeted to the lowest level in a decade. Now, this is not some conservative right-wing source. This is from the National Association of Home Builders. It shows that only 42% of American families earning more than $90,000 a year were even able to afford new or existing homes that were sold between July and September. As the mortgage rates continue to increase, this is only going to worsen, with 30-year rates now in excess of 7%, and the Fed expected to continue to raise the base rate we are definitely in a period in which housing prices cannot remain where they are. The law of supply and demand bows to no one in a free market society, at least as long as society is absent from significant government control and intervention. Twitter, Facebook, hospital systems, many other industries and businesses are starting to lay off people. And as they do, two-income families that now become one income will not be able to afford homes at these prices and at these interest rates. 
Once that fact is actually baked into the law of supply and demand in our economy, housing prices will fall and there will be a domino effect that occurs. This is not good. It is not good at all. And if this is true, where in the world can we put our hope? Well, we'll actually talk about that very fact today. For this week's News and Review, that's a wrap. Welcome, fellow Americans, to this edition of The Grid. I'm so happy to have Clay and Sean here today. Once again, my fellow patriots, more importantly, my brothers in Christ and my friends. Clay, Sean, thanks for joining today. Pleasure as usual. Thanks for having us. So, guys, <laughs> I'm a little bit shell-shocked here. Here we are, several days removed from the supposed red wave. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, I felt a bit sick. Uh, shock. Yeah. I kind of had a different perspective this year. I've always, like, every year, I've sort of, like, watched every little, like, nuance of this thing and that thing. And this year, I'm just like, let's let the dust settle and see what happens. And I know there's still some more dust to settle. So that's kind of where I'm at. I know it wasn't as awesome as everyone was thinking, so... Clay, even though we haven't had a chance to visit before this podcast, I really appreciate you saying that because I feel, I would say that I feel a little bit of the same way, but it's taken me longer to get there. On Wednesday, I had a myriad of emotions that I would say were multiple different stages. The first one was outright shock. The second one was anger. I was so angry and probably mixed in with that anger a little bit was grief. I was grieved for our country, certainly grieved for the state that I live in here in Michigan, which we might talk a little bit later about. But I have had really the red wave I experienced was a wave of emotions. It wasn't a wave of results in the election themselves. Um, Sean Clay, did you guys experience any of those same emotions? I haven't really yet because I've just been letting the dust settle. So I had to work. And so it just, just kind of helped me to think about other things. and. So I haven't really experienced that. I'm just still waiting to try to find all the ins and outs of what's going on. And yeah. Um, I'm probably like in the medium there because for one thing, we're here in Texas and Governor Greg Abbott won. We had some stuff that did go our way. Whereas you, you're in a state where everything went the wrong way. So I completely understand. I mean, you're, you're there in Michigan and everything just went. Ugh. So I completely understand where you're coming from. Here was a mixed bag. We have a county judge. She and her team are just crooked as all get out. And somehow she won re-election. Go figure. Yeah. So when you talk about Michigan, Sean, Whitmer beat out Tudor Dixon pretty handily. That was a possibility because she outspent Tudor Dixon 10 to 1, 15 to 1. So that was a real challenge. But in addition to that, the Republicans lost control of the state house, the state Senate. One Democrat on the Supreme Court was reelected. So the Supreme Court in Michigan is a four three is four three in favor of the Democrats. All three proposals that were amendments to the Constitution in the state of Michigan were also passed, which among those include a voter integrity it was really deceptive that in essence codifies the mandate of future voter drop boxes, 1,750 of them across the state. And the most egregious of all was Proposal 3, which codifies in the Constitution 
the ability for children to get abortions without the knowledge or consent of their parents, including gender affirming care, transition, surgery, you name it. The parents are completely locked out and anybody who assists in that cannot be prosecuted in any way. So in Michigan, it feels pretty dark. Mm. So just to clarify, children under the age of 18 can get transition surgery? When you say under the age of 18, I'm saying a 10-year-old could decide that, that he or she is confused about their identity in school, and that could start the process of where they can get um, medic- medical transition or even surgical transition through school counselors and physicians, and the parents would never know. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I was pretty shocked, and maybe because the night started off with DeSantis blowing out the polls. I mean, DeSantis won Broward County. That I'm not sure Republicans done that in 50 years. DeSantis absolutely steamrolled Florida, and pretty much Marco Rubio did the same. So when I saw those, I thought, wow, this is going to be a good night. And then from then on, the polls seemed to be wrong at every turn. Now, Clay, you say that you're kind of waiting for the dust to settle, but were there any surprises there that you're like, wow, I really didn't expect that? Not really. I went into the election like, God, here you go. It's up to you. I haven't expected much for this election. I hoped, but I honestly feel like there's probably been a lot of cheating going on that is yet to be confirmed. And of course, there's not going to be anything really done about it like they always do. So I, I kind of feel like that. I'm not being a conspiracy person, but if you ever looked at any of the Evans for 2020, you'll know that there was a lot of stuff going on. And I kind of felt like if that went on then, what chance do we have with any other election? So the only chance we have is God. So I haven't, I've been sort of 50-50 about the whole thing. You know, Clay, really appreciate you sharing that because the word that's come to me lately is humility. And I feel like that I need to repent before you guys and repent before our audience and repent before the Lord that inadvertently, without realizing, I placed my hope in these man-made elections. I placed my hope in our democracy. And of course, we are freedom-loving Christians who want to see our country align with long-held Judeo-Christian biblical values. But our hope cannot be in that. So when you said that, it made me think of this scripture, and I want to read this, and then I'd like to get your comments on it. So many people know the scripture in Second Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, we know that scripture. It's a pretty popular scripture, but we often don't read verse 13, which says this, which precedes that scripture. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, then if my people who are called by my name. When I read that, it reminds me that the Lord is still in control and that it does feel like there's a plague among us, this plague of lawlessness that we've talked about on previous podcasts. But as I read this, it reminds me that the Lord's hand is not distant from this situation and our hope must be in the Lord. What do you guys think? I think you're like right on, Chris. Totally hope in God because just because 
we think it should have gone this way. You know, God has a way of turning things and making the path end up in a such better way. Just to add a secular pronoun view here, like to confirm what we just said, uh, I think I was listening to Mark Levin the other day. Basically, there's 20 Republicans and 14 Democrats existing in the Senate. There wasn't a really good chance of adding a whole much more uh, Republican people in the Senate. But like what's happened is in this election, it's just reversed in 2024. So because of the way it happened this election uh, in 2024, the Democrats are going to have a very, very hard time adding or even holding on to their seats. So this election has kind of set up the 2024 election for there to be something big to happen. That's what he was saying. So we don't have the whole picture. God's in control. It will work out eventually. There might be some rough parts in between that, but it's going to work out in the long run. Yeah, Clay, I think that's just timely. Man, can we never forget where our hope is? And it's so hard as a Christian because we we get this righteous indignation, right? And and we want to see truth and justice prevail. We want to see biblically held values prevail. We want to see light and goodness prevail. And we're so sick of evil prevailing. And so I know I get frustrated, but I have heard the same thing. Same thing Levin said, that the Republicans really should have destroyed the Democrats in this election, even in the midst of them defending the harder seats. So we'll see about 2024. Maybe this is a wake-up call. But that being said, on this theme of where should our hope lie, Sean, you sent me something called Prophetic Perspectives, and I want to read this when we return. My dad always says that freedom is not passed on through DNA, but rather it must be fought for and protected by every generation. That is why it is never too early to be involved in faith, politics, and commerce. I'm only 14 years old, and I'm already a Kingdom Patriot. You should be too. Join the fight for faith and freedom. Go to kingdompatriot.us today. Sean, you sent me something from Flashpoint called Prophetic Perspectives, and I want to read this. You sent it to me, but I want to read it back to you and then have you comment on it. And this is what it says, God's terms at the midturn. Do you think that I can inject goodness at this time that will overcome evil? Do you not see that I can inject truth that shall outweigh the lies? Therefore, I say, do not put your hope in just a day, for I'm not limited man's time or to man's day. I have said, and I say it to you, so you will not be moved. This is my terms. This is my turning, and believe me, says the Lord, you will see that darkness will not prevail. You will see my light will overcome, and my truth will have its way and its voice in this day, says the Lord. So I will start with... Mm, very encouraging. Very encouraging. One of the things that I was constantly coaching myself through as, you know, the news would come up about the election results and things like that is there is the fraud factor. And it's going to take a bit of time for the fraud to flush out or be flushed out. You know, we've also got some places where the counting has been muddied and got some critical races going on there that as of the moment of recording, we don't know yet. Hopefully, by the time folks are hearing this, we will have those decided. What I'm trying to say is when it comes right down to it, the day was just the beginning. And just because certain winners have been declared 
doesn't mean that the fraud hasn't been exposed yet. So there is a process. And I do believe that this is a very strong word. It was delivered on October 30th. So it was delivered in advance of the event. And I really do think that we're going to see some things changed. So what has been announced so far, we just need to be patient, continue to pray. And I do believe that many of these outcomes are going to be reversed. So, Sean, am I understanding you correctly that 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 prophetic word was given a week before the election? Yes. On live television. That's amazing. Yep. So I also, this is going to be a hard one for me because just because of, of pride factor, but I want to read one other scripture to you. We go all the way back in the Old Testament to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is actually in the city of Susa. So he he is there as a captive or as, as part of the Israelite nation that is captive. And he's getting a report back from what Jerusalem looks like. And he's told that the walls are broken down, the gates have been burned, that there's just great trouble and disgrace, and he is, he's grieved. But the reason I tell you that, and the reason I make that point, is because he's not really responsible for what's going on in Jerusalem, nor was he responsible for why Israel was in captivity, because that was before his time. He's growing up. He's in captivity in Susa. But this is the posture that Nehemiah takes. Listen to what he says. He says, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. This is where the posture I think is amazing. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you we have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws that you gave your servant Moses. When I read that, I read a man who wasn't even there that resulted in the exile is taking ownership of his nation. And he's saying, I'm not, I can't blame this on other people. Like my, my initial reaction was to blame all the Christians who didn't vote, which there's truth from the, um, you know, from a worldly point of view, that's true. If you didn't physically go vote, th that's a problem. But what I see from Nehemiah is he's taken ownership. He is identifying with his nation that what the nation does well, and in this case, what the nation has done sinfully, he owns, has his own, and is confessing in almost what appears to me in an intercessory way for Israel. When you guys hear me read that, how do you respond? What do you think? I think that's awesome. I I think, and this goes back to the prophecy too. So this all ties in. Both of these tie in together. I feel like it's going to get darker, but the light gets lighter. We're going to come to a point of choosing, like, are you going to just let this happen? Or are you going to choose to stand up and be that person who prays or be that person who, who helps organize groups to rebuild to recognize our foundations of our country, to rebuild the school board, to rebuild the DA or district attorney or the, the county, like Sean was saying, there's different people that have been voted in that have been having bad policies. So are we going to rebuild these things? Are you going to be the light? Are you going to be the light 
Are you going to put actions to your words, to your faith? And not just politically, but like individually and socially and morally, uh, you know, are you going to stand up and say, hey, I love you, but hey, that's, you know, that's not really right. You know, I'm sorry. But so in other words, you can stand up for the light and show the darkness is wrong. And there's going to be a point, it seems to be, that we're not going to get away from it. You know, it's it's basically, I used this illustration a while back, it's like a war. Like at some point, if somebody's coming to attack you, either you're going to sit there and be bludgeoned to death, or you're going to fight back. At some point, God is using this so that we choose to be the light. And that's where we're, we're at. Sean, comments? There's so much that came to mind. I heard Rodney Howard Brown recently. I think he has a new book out. I'm not sure what it's called. But he was. He said um, on, on the program that I was watching, the Lord showed him that we are in a season where he is separating the sheep from the goats. There's so much that's going on, and the Lord is in the middle of all of it in some form or fashion. We have folks that like us that are are working as diligently as they can to help America uh, back to her founding senses, so to speak, um, back to her founding values. And then we've got other folks that are, uh, you know, they're diligently working on reformation. We've got others that are working on awakening, and we've got others that are working on justice and there's a myriad of things that are all taking place all at the same time, and he's in doing something in each one of those areas. And so it looks like a big mess right now, a big fruit salad. One of the things that popped up, though, when you were sharing that scripture is the pastors. We've got to encourage our pastors to speak about our civic responsibility. Because when they hear what the pastor has to say, and I know a lot of pastors are very hesitant to do that because of 501c3 and, you know, all that other crap. But America used to get its news from the pulpit way back in the day before 1776. We went to church, we worshiped God, but that was also the place where the pastor was able to give the news that was going on. So the pastors originally were the first newscasters. So my heart is, we've got to encourage our pastors to speak out. We've got to tell them. It's like congressmen and senators are saying, hey, you know, dear pastors, we'd step out on a limb if you guys would show your support. But when you don't show your support, we don't step out. Well, we need to do the same thing as folks in the congregation and tell the pastors, we will support you. We will stand with you if you will speak about civic responsibility. Sean, that is a, a great segue. I want to read to you a text that was sent to me from a friend in Pennsylvania. And this is the title of the text, The Pulpit is Responsible. I'm just going to take a minute. I'm going to read through this. Brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours in a great degree. If there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit 
is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible. Let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation. I think that was well said. What do you guys think? Right on. Here, here. Right on. Yeah, technically, my friend actually didn't say that. He just sent me the quote. That was written by Charles Finney, December 4th, 1873. Sounds like that this might not be the first time where the heartbeat of the nation was on the ballot. Mm. Wow. Stunning. And that, in some ways, gives me hope, Sean. I think that, again, this is part of my repentance journey, but I think I put my hope in this election. And I put my stake in the ground that the line in the sand was drawn here and it was either success or failure. And the truth is the battle against the enemy, the battle that belongs to the Lord, that battle is a journey. It's not an event during our lifetime, not until Jesus comes back and wins the war. This was another battle and we didn't fare well. We need to grieve in that. We need to own it. We need to repent on behalf of our nation, but we also need not to give up. And I think. The day after the election, I was ready to give up. I'm just being honest. I know, Sean, I shared it with you. Clay, I'm not sure if I shared that with you. I was so frustrated and so hurt, so angry. I was just ready to be done. Yeah, I completely understand. Yeah, another another way to look at that is, let's just say that 100% positive, like everything went perfect for the red wave. What are the leaders going to be in place? Think about it. They're going to mostly kowtow to whatever the Democrats want. We got Mitch McConnell and then the Kevin McCarthy. I mean, they're not exactly like, let's bring back the foundations of the country. They're pretty much what we call rhinos. So, Well, as I say, Clay, that's a really good point. I never thought of that because I just looked at the red wave as trying to remove hands from the lawless ones, to remove power from the lawless ones. But that doesn't mean that these were the leaders that the Lord picked. And it's so tempting to forget that the Lord is in control, that nothing is happening outside the palm of his hand. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's going to get so dark that we we have to choose. Things are going to just be very evident about our politicians at some point. I think picking up with, with what Clay is saying, you know, we've got the race that just blew my mind was Pennsylvania. The dude cannot put two sentences together. I mean, sometimes I feel like that. <laughs> Get in front of a microphone is like, the what was I saying? But Fetterman won. He was out on the national stage not a week earlier, demonstrating to everybody that the man is not fit for that type of office because the senator must be able to read a senator must be able to hear, and a senator must be able to not only speak, but articulate, especially when it comes to complex and sticky policies and, and laws and things like that. And he demonstrated that he's not fit for it. He never should have run. And yet Pennsylvania stepped up to the plate 
and they voted for him. Yeah, I you know, I could really rip on Pennsylvania a little bit here because they also reelected DeLuca. Now, DeLuca is not a well-known individual because that's a state race. He won in his district, a Democrat, with 85% of the vote. Um, and he actually died on October the 9th, a month before the election, and he got 85% of the vote. So it's tempting to really rip on Pennsylvania. But then again, after I shared what happened in Michigan, it's really hard to do that because I think we have set the standard for the low bar. Well, the tying those two together. So we've got Pennsylvania voting the way they did, Michigan voting for the way they did, and then the mirror opposite taking place in Florida, sheep goats. Sheep goats. Think about it. Mm. Sheep goats. I hate to say it, but Biden actually looks good compared to Fetterman. You know, I mean, so you got to remember too, Pennsylvania, there was a lot of cheating going on in the 2020. So you have to ask yourself what went on. I mean, how can somebody who literally can't even say two sentences be elected? And you're talking about I didn't personally like Dr. Oz, but you're talking about Dr. Oz. He was a popular TV guy. So something seems a little fishy there. You have to kind of realize, you know, the bigger picture, There, there's probably more going on than we realize. Amen. Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, if I was to take one theme out of our podcast today, it would be hope in the Lord, not in man. In fact, I have one more scripture that I would like to share when we return. All that is required for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. If you want to make a difference, you cannot sit on the sidelines. That's why you need to be a kingdom patriot. Join us today and help us fight for faith and freedom. If you give up just two cups of Starbucks per month, you can make a difference. Hi, I'm Jessica, and I'm a kingdom patriot. When we talk about putting our hope, I want to read one more scripture. Let me turn to it real quick. We find this in 2 Corinthians, first chapter. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. That's how I felt uh, the other day. Indeed, our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I have told that scripture, shared that scripture with my daughter before when she was going through something really hard when she tore her shoulder and she was really wrestling with it. When we put our hope in man, the results of that are limited to man's limitations. When our hope is in God, it is the God who raises the dead. So if I would say to our audience, anyone who's listening today, let's remember that our hope must be not in man who is limited, but in God who raises the dead. Clay, Sean, how about some closing comments? I think you're right on, Chris. That is so true. Our hope is only in God. And frequently, we humans put our hope in a lot of other things, but that's where it needs to be is in God. And then we have to ask ourselves, God, what is it you want our actions to be? That's all we can do. Humans have a strong track record for or giving us opportunities to be disappointed. Whereas on the flip side, the Lord gives us opportunities to trust him. And this is, as you've said, Chris, as Clay has pulled things together with this, we really do need to keep looking at him because every single time that we unintentionally put our hope 
that maybe our fellow man has awakened and is going to do the right thing, we discovered he fell asleep on the way and we're disappointed. I, I totally resonate with that. But the Lord is still working. You know, Michael W. Smith has that song that, um, Waymaker, and he says in the song, even then when we can't see that he's working, even when, even when we don't feel that he's working, he never stops. He never stops working. He's always there working. Man, that's great encouragement. I'm glad you said, shared that, Sean. Chris, what you don't know is that that song has been playing in my head all morning. Wow. Wow. Man, I, you know, if I was to share my closing thoughts, my first and foremost would be Sean and Clay. You are a great encouragement to me. And Clay, I really appreciate just your level head. You really brought a calm today to the podcast of let's let the dust settle. Let's not get too excited. The Lord is still in control. That could have been the whole podcast in 30 seconds. Very, very wise words. I really appreciate you guys joining me today. We need to send this message far and wide. People need to hear that our hope is in the Lord. The word of the Lord for our audience and for our nation. He is the way maker. Till next time. Visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated. Your input is valued. Your voice is needed. 